0: Julie and Dell. Leroy, you're the only one in that family that can't sing, aren't you? <clears throat> it's been fun watching Dell, though, hasn't it? Dell used to get up here and sing in that high voice, and now he's got that low voice, and he can still sing. Dell, that was wonderful. Praise team, Brother Aaron. Thank you all so much. Brother Charles, thank you for letting me preach uh, this morning. I know we were excited to watch you preach and flap that arm, <clears throat> but Maybe in the coming weeks we can, we can see that. If you have your Bibles, two spots, go ahead and find Psalm 63, Psalm 63, and then go to Philippians chapter 3. Psalm 63, and then Philippians chapter 3. Around half of us in this room will be starting something tomorrow tomorrow. That in the beginning will be exhilarating, it will be exciting, but in the end it will be frustrating. It'll be something we look forward to at first, but we will dread as time continues. Many will make New Year's resolutions. Well, except the guy, there was a guy I read about and he uh, looked about it and he thought about it and he said, my New Year's resolution is to stop lying to myself about making lifestyle changes. That's true for a lot. There was a guy who said, "I can't believe it's been a year and I have not become a better person." There was a guy who said, "I'm going to be real with my New Year's resolution. I want to lose just enough weight so that my gut doesn't jiggle when I brush my teeth." <clears throat> you got to take those small steps, right? Another guy was talking and he said, "Man, in 2018, I'm going to I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise." I'm going to work out, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to get cut, is that cake? (laughs) Little boy went to his dad and he said, Dad, what exactly is a New Year's resolution? And his father said, well, son, it's a to-do list for the first week of January. (laughs) Many times that's what it is, isn't it? And those are good, the top New Year's resolutions, out of the top four, three of them deal with weight loss, getting healthy, and eating right. Did you know this? Did you know that in December and January, gym memberships rise 40 to 50 percent. Anybody here joined a gym this month? Don't raise your hand. You shouldn't do that. <clears throat> but they rise 40 to 50 percent in January, and then in February, they go back down to normal. The next one on the list is to save money and lose debt. The next resolution is to stop drinking so much alcohol or to stop smoking? Uh, to lose stress in your life. Next one is to, to volunteer to do something for someone else. Number 10 on the list is to go on vacation and travel somewhere you've never been before. New Year's resolutions are a good thing. There's nothing wrong with a New Year's resolution. It's when we, we, we look back and we think about our life, we think about where we've been in the previous year, and we see some areas that we need to grow. We need some things that 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 we can do better on. Maybe we look at our life and we look at our our marriage and we say, you know what? I can be a better spouse. And in 2018, I'm going to be a better spouse. Or we look at our children and we say, in 2018, I need to be a better parent. I don't spend enough quality time with my children. There are things that I can do better. And so it's good to reflect over the previous year and to improve who we are as a person. The problem is the latest study shows that only 8% of people actually keep their New Year's resolution. 8%. About 50% of people make New Year's resolutions, and out of that 50%, only 8 will keep it. 80% of people will not get past January. They won't get past three or four weeks before they throw in the towel and they quit. That's why I believe what we need is not a New Year's resolution, but we need a revolution. We need a revolution in our heart. We need to be the best that we can be. We need to reach our potential. We need to seize the moment. We need to make the most out of every opportunity. And what I want to present to you this morning, hopefully quickly, because I know we have children here with us. My kids are in here and they get loud when we take too long, so we'll move quickly. But there are two areas that I believe are foundational to making us what we should be in 2018. Two areas that will put us on the right course. It's more important than losing 50 pounds. It's more important than getting six-pack abs. It's more important than paying off debt and building up a strong emergency fund. The two areas I want to present to you this morning is that we would passionately pursue Christ and that we would be liberated from legalism. That we would passionately pursue Christ and that we would be liberated from legalism. What does it look like to passionately pursue Christ? You're in Psalm chapter 63. Let's look at it. David says this, he says, "O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul it thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water." You know what David's not saying? He's not saying, "In the year 2018, I want to be a better guy." not what he's saying. What David is saying in this psalm is that there is a yearning inside of me for you, God. God, I am desperate for you. God, I must have you. I must have more. What I have is not enough. I am seeking more of you, God. And he continues. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love It's better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. What David is talking about is the fact that God is all-consuming. God is the one who consumes his thoughts. God is the one who consumes his emotions. God is the one that he is longing for. In verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My fear is that we have lost this in the modern church. We get uncomfortable when we talk about this all-consuming passion for God. We are a people of balance, and so we want to balance our spiritual life with our work life and with our social life and with our family life. But when you look to the Bible, there is no balance. God is to be everything to us. God is to be what drives us. What moves us? What pushes us? And when you get to Psalm 63, you see that David is saying, God, I need more of you. And my problem is, many times that is lacking in my heart. Many times I see that lacking in our church. We get satisfied. We get content. David is in pain He's crying, why can't I get there? Why can't I have more of you, God? Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We read a verse like that, and we go out and we find a sweater, and we put a picture of a deer on it, don't we? And then we say, for my soul thirsts for God. And this this, this pretty picture Or maybe it's a coffee mug with a a nice deer on it. It's not what David is saying. David is saying, as a wild animal goes out and he needs water, he must have water. He is looking for water. He is longing for water. He needs the nourishment. He says, just like that, God, I am searching for you and I need you. I'm driven by you, God. I, I can't get by without more of you. Moses says it like this. He says in Exodus 33, I want to see you, Lord. I want to see your glory. I've got to have more of it. Can our singing and our preaching and our prayers and our books and our blogs and our Facebook updates and our reputations, do they reflect the fact that we are yearning for God? When your friends look at your life, do they see a man or a woman that is yearning for God? When your family thinks about you, do they think about a a mom or a dad, a grandparent that is totally consumed with God? Now look over at Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. This is exactly what Paul is getting at in Philippians chapter 3. Nothing compares to the Lord. Everything else is indeed rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of having Jesus. Let me just remind you, when we get to the Philippians, Paul is writing from prison. He's writing to a free people, but he himself is in chains. So let's look Philippians 3, beginning in verses 1 through 3. He says, Finally, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, we've got to move quickly, but it's amazing how verse 1 starts And Paul is reminding these free people to rejoice in the Lord. It it seems backwards, doesn't it? Paul is in prison. He's writing to these free people and he's saying, let me remind you, let me encourage you to rejoice in the Lord. You see, Paul has learned something that every one of us need to learn in our life. And that is simply this. There can be rejoicing in the Lord even when our outward circumstances are contrary to the spirit of rejoicing. Our joy is found in God. It is not found in our circumstances. It doesn't matter if we're going through great times this morning or maybe there's many here and you're going through difficult times. And I realize that gets us down. Maybe it makes us depressed but in the midst of that, we still have a joy in our heart because we have salvation. The greatest joy comes not from what we're going through in life, but it comes from the Lord. But, but Paul, what does Paul warn of? Look, look, look down in your text. He says to watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who are the dogs? The dogs are those who mark their faith in Christ by what they do and what they do not do. They had faith in Christ, but that was not enough. Listen again. They had faith in Christ, but it wasn't enough. They also had to supplement that. They had to add to it. And so they began to add these other things that were necessary for salvation. They are known as the Judaizers. They said, you have faith in Christ, that's great, but you also must be circumcised. And so they took the list, and they began to be arrogant and be proud of what they're doing. They begin to think that they're better than others because of their spirituality. And they begin to exalt themselves. They wanted to prove who they were. Legalism was always leads us to compare, and legalism always leads us to pride. Paul says, watch out for that kind of faith. Watch out for that kind of faith because it is empty. You say, what exactly is it? Legalism is any time we say Jesus plus something. Jesus plus church attendance. Jesus plus tithing. Jesus plus my life group, Jesus plus Bible study, Jesus plus whatever it is we want to put in that blank. When we say I'm saved and there's anything besides Jesus that leads to our salvation, the Bible makes it clear that that is legalism. And I want to remind you, God hates legalism. He hates it. When you look through the Gospels, you'll see that many times Jesus was in conflict with the religious leaders. And you know what the main thing that that comes up over and over and over again is? Their legalism. And so Jesus comes and he talks against, against, and against their legalism. Look down in verse 3. Look where he goes next. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh he says we he he comes down and makes it personal he says we are the circumcision we are the true circumcision in the old testament they had the physical act of circumcision and it was a way to to show that they are the people of God But there were times that they would rely upon their circumcision and they believed that that made their election secure as the people of God. So they began to to lead their hearts to other guides. And they would look to a time when there would be a circumcision of the heart, when they would be devoted to the things of God. And Paul says, this time has come now. We are the true circumcision. What do we do? Three things, he says. We worship by the Spirit of God. Not by human tradition, we worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. When he's talking about the flesh, he's referring to what man is outside of Christ. And he says, we don't put confidence in the flesh, we put confidence in God. And then he puts himself on the scale, continue in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul steps back and he says, you think you have a reason to boast? You think you have a reason to be proud? You think you have a reason to be arrogant? You think you have a reason to come in and compare yourself to others? He says, I can do the same things. And he begins to list his credentials. Some of them came by his birth. He was born in the right family. He, he was circumcised. He had this racial identity. He was able to speak the language of his people. And some he added to it. He says, man, I was, I was zealous for the things of God. I I was going after this hard. I was a persecutor of the church. I was living my life to try to set myself up over others. I observed the law in every way that I could. And he's listing all of his credentials. You see, we can do that same thing, can't we? We can begin to think about our spiritual life and we can say, you know what I do? I hardly ever miss my small group. I've gone through 2017, and I've only missed twice on my Sunday morning worship. Once I was sick, and once I just wanted to stay home, but I've only missed twice. Well, you say, you know what I do? I go through my life, and I read my Bible just about every day of the week. I go through my life, and I tithe weekly, every penny. I tithe it to to just the spot of it. I never miss my tithe. I share the gospel with my neighbors. Except the one on this, I don't like him very much. But all my other neighbors, I share the gospel. I don't listen to secular music. I listen to, to Christian music. Maybe a little 80s rock or something, but every once in a while. But other than that, I listen to the, the Christian music. I don't see R rated movies. I'm faithful. I'm faithful as a man, faithful to my family. I use the right Bible translation. You'll only catch the right one in my hands. I only want the right kind of music sung in my church. And if it's not the style I like, I'm not going to participate. You see, I've got all this stuff going on, and it's all right. I'm good. I'm on the right path. I'm on the right track. You look at me on the outside, and everything looks fine in my life. And Paul steps back, and he says, you know what that is? That's what the dogs do. The dogs, they say, I do, I don't, I have, I never, I might, I sometimes. That's what the dogs do. And he says, who cares about any of that? That's not what it's about. Some people think they've earned the love of God by doing these things. They think that God should be impressed by their life. They think that we bless God by coming in and worshiping him on Sundays. Let me just just say this. God doesn't need, I'll just say me, God does not need me, and I don't impress God. There's nothing about me that impresses God. God doesn't need you, and you don't impress God. There's nothing that God needs about me or about you either. Look at verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, Talking about all these things that he just listed. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All this self-improvement, it still did not earn a lick of grace from God. It does not even begin to approach the perfection of Jesus. It's like building this tower to the heavens, but the problem is it will never reach. It may lead to being real good. You can be real good when you come to church often. You can be real good when you read your Bible often. You can be real good by giving often. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. These are things we should be doing. Paul goes on, he talks about working out our salvation with what? With fear and trembling. Paul goes on, he talks about walking in a manner that is worthy of our calling. These are things that we should be doing as children of God. But if you think that this earns your salvation, it earns your spot in heaven then you've missed the gospel message. The gospel message is Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus plus you. It's not Jesus plus your works. It's not Jesus plus your knowledge. It's not Jesus plus your abilities. It is only Jesus. And when we begin to add to Jesus, what we do is we take Christ and we make him much lower. We take Christ and we put him on our level. We cannot work our way to righteousness. What matters is simply this, that we pursue Christ, that we pursue Christ at all costs. You cannot pursue Christ, and you may look good, you may sound good, you might even smell good, but it doesn't mean you're righteous. I I was reading a a book a while back by a a well-known preacher named Kyle Eidelman, and he was preaching in uh, Houston. And he said after he preached, he went down off the stage, service was over, and a a big man came down and began to talk to him, and he said, Pastor, I've got a problem. He said, my my daughter graduated high school last year, and since she graduated, she has totally walked away from the church. She has totally walked away from the things of God. And he said, I thought to myself, how do I respond to this? But the man continued. He wasn't looking for an answer. He was sharing his story. He said, Pastor, I I think I know what happened. He said, Pastor, we raised my daughter in church, and we raised her what to listen to, and on what to watch, and on what friends to have. We taught her all these different Bible stories. We went to all these classes and all these camps and all these seminars. And, and Pastor, we taught her how to look like Jesus. But, Pastor, I don't think we taught her how to love Jesus. I think there's a lot of that going on in our churches. We're focused so much on all the external that if we're not careful, and it's through good intention. It's good biblical things, but if we're not careful, we miss the heart. We miss the heart that, that loves Jesus, that longs for him, that yearns for him, that desires for him, that says, I need more, more, and more. Paul said, but whatever gain I had, as I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing else matters except for knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says, All the things I used to have, they're now rubbish. They're garbage, they're trash, they're nothing. All of this is nothing. The only thing that matters is that I may know Christ and that I may be known by Christ. I think a lot of times we go through life and we we get caught up in this battle, don't we? How much should I really give to the Lord? I want to have a good life, I want to have a happy life, I want to be successful. I want to have nice things. And so we go through life, and we're grabbing on to the things the world has to offer. And at the same time, we're grabbing on to the things of God, and we're trying to hold on to both of them. And both of them are grabbing our attention so much that we won't let go of either one. And we think to ourselves, we think to ourselves, I wonder if Christ is worth me letting go of everything else. I wonder if he's worth it. I wonder if I let go of all the things that that draw me near that the world has to offer. I wonder if he'll be worth it. Paul says he's worth it. He goes on, he says in verse 8, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I, I won't get it by my own efforts, but that which comes through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I can't earn it on my own. I've got to be found in Christ, to know him, to be known by him. That's what matters. Reminds me of The text in Matthew 7 on the day of judgment. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Lord, we did all these good things. We had all the right works. We went to church. We worked in the church. We we drove a bus. We were on all the committees. We did all these right things. And then I will declare to them, listen to this, scariest words in the Bible. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Your works are never enough. What is salvation? Salvation is a relationship. I read this a long time ago, shared it before, but there's a a guy that competed in the 2004 Olympics. His name was Matt Emmons, and he participated in the the three-position rifle event. He had shot the first two positions, and he was in first place by a large margin. He had one position left. All he had to do was just hit the target, anywhere on the target, and he would receive the gold medal. He goes up, he takes a spot, He raises his gun, he shoots, and he makes a great shot. He thinks to himself, I have won the gold medal. There is no way anybody can outdo what I just did. The judge came up, and he said something happened that is extremely rare in this level of competition. Matt was in lane two, and as he shot, he shot the target in lane three. He made a good shot, but he made a good shot at the wrong target. And so instead of receiving the points for a good shot, he received no points because he was on the wrong target. Instead of getting the gold medal, he ended up in eighth place, and he did not receive a medal. It could be there's a lot of Christians, and we're working hard, and we're making the shot, but the problem is that we're making the shot at the wrong target. It's not about Jesus, it's about following the rituals. It's not about Jesus, it's about following the tradition. It's not about Jesus, it's about following the rules. It's not about Jesus, it's about pleasing everyone else around us. And we're going at it with all of our strength and with all of our might and we look good on the outside. The problem is it's not the right target that we're shooting after. Let's close up with this. What is it that that moves you? When you look at your life, do you see this type of desperation for God that looks at all your successes and all your achievements and says, I consider this as rubbish compared to Christ? If not, why? Why? why are we so easily satisfied? Why is there no angst in our hearts that wants more? Why are we so lazy when it comes to pursuing our Savior? Romans 8 talks about creation, longing for Christ. It talks about humanity, longing for Christ. But yet when I look at my heart sometimes, there's not this great longing. I, I find in myself that I'm too, I'm too satisfied with my relationship with God. Why, why don't we long like David longed? It, it's the most important thing. Why, why, why do we get content? Why do we get complacent? Why do we get satisfied? And what can we do to change it in 2018? I think it will it will center around the things of God. If we want to have a zeal and a passion for God, it it will center around his book. This is his word. I told you I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but January 1st is a great time to start reading your Bible every day. I think it will center on prayer. That's how we communicate with God. If there's no zeal, there's no passion. Maybe there's little zeal, there's little passion. We need to communicate with God, build that relationship. I think it will be centered around worship. When we worship God for, for who he is and awe of his, of his majesty. I, but I think it will also mean that we, we rid some things in our life. It, it may be for you that it's not the big things anymore. As we grow in our spiritual life, it's not the, the big sins we talk about. Maybe it's the, the little foxes that come in and they, they stop our spiritual growth. For some, it's sports. I'm not a sports guy, and I'm not an anti-sports guy, but for some, just watching sports and watching how a, a 21-year-old young man handles a ball is enough to ruin your day. That's silly. And so that can take your attention off of holy things. In my life, something, something we've done is we stopped watching so much television. I'm not anti-TV. We have TVs at, at our house. But Brittany and I were talking several months back, and we're just wasting too much time watching television. And when I watch television, what I notice is that I begin to giggle at things that God calls wicked. It doesn't push me towards God. And so we cut back on television We started talking a few months ago, and we started talking about Facebook. Now you're getting close to home. Be careful, huh? We started talking about Facebook. I'm not anti-Facebook. We still have a a joint account. We started talking about what what is Facebook adding to our life? We we thought about how we we had this family time, and the kids were all in the living room, and there are times that I'd be in my easy chair, and she'd be on the couch, and we'd both be on Facebook. What a waste. Honestly, there's nothing that anybody puts on Facebook that is that important. I don't care, right? But I was wasting a lot of time. Now, I'm not saying get rid of your Facebook. I'm just saying take an evaluation of your life and say, what is it that is distracting me from things that matter? What is it that is, is filling this spot that I ought to be longing for God, but instead of longing for God, I'm distracted by these other things? What are the things that are robbing my affection so that I'm not pursuing God in the way that I should? David says, oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. Question, does that sound like your heart? God, I've got to have more. It's not enough. God, I need more of you? And if not, are you going to change it? You see, my, my, my biggest fear is this. My biggest fear is that we read a text like this from David and we say, man, I, that's something. That, but that's missing in my life. I, I don't have that, that longing. I, I don't have the desire for that intimacy. And, and it ought to bring up in us something that desires it. But my fear is that we can read scripture like that and we can see a drive for God like David had. We can walk out these doors and say, I don't even want that in my life. I'm lukewarm and I want to be lukewarm. That's a scary place to be. When you, when you read about that, that passion for God, and you know you don't have it, but deep inside, there's nothing that even wants it. I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about it in your heart. God, you are my guide. Earnestly, I seek you. Do you really seek God? God, my soul, it thirsts for you. Does your soul, does it thirst for God? God, my flesh, it faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. I wonder, does your flesh faint for God? You say, well, well Case, that's, that's extreme, isn't it? No, it's really not. The Bible says that we're to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. That's what David's talking about. He's talking about a love and devotion that is totally committed and totally dedicated. We talk about salvation. What is salvation? It is surrender. It is when we surrender everything that we are to God. So this should be the typical Christian life. Doesn't mean we don't fall and we don't mess up, but the typical Christian life should be a life that is desperate for the things of God. So in 2018, will you be desperate for the things of God? It doesn't happen automatically. You have to begin to pursue that. You have to remove things from your life that, that hinder that. And I just wonder, do you do you care enough to make those choices? Maybe today can be a time of resolution to be resolved, a time of revolution to where things change. Boy, that would honor God. So I want to ask you to pray about it here in just a few moments. Pray about what God wants out of you, what God wants out of your life in the coming days. What changes need to be made? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have this relationship. The gospel message has been presented it's not through works, it's not through anything that you can do, but it's only through Christ it's only through the precious blood that was shed it's all about Jesus and nothing else and so if you need to know more about that, I want to encourage you in just a moment to come down and talk to with Charles or the Jason or myself and we'd love to explain that more to you. Lord we thank you for this day and we thank you for your the time that we've been blessed with God we thank you for your word and how it challenges us, God. And Lord, I pray as a people, God, that we will not be satisfied. God, but we will want more. We won't get complacent, God, but we will desire more. God, let us to be a people that love you, that search after you, God that want more and more and more. Let it to be known that the people of Woodland Hills are totally in love with Jesus. Lord, I pray you'll have your way during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with he us. He became sin, who knew no sin
1: That we might become His righteousness Was told. love so saw- hard.
2: Amen. Thank you. Be seated just for a moment. And uh, let me make a couple of announcements here uh, this morning. Don't forget, if you're on the church council, we're going to have a meeting about five minutes right through these double doors in the conference room right after worship today. Uh, There is a copy of the proposed 2018 budget at the Connection Center. And uh, you can pick that up on your way out. Uh, And then Wednesday night, 6:30, 6:30, right here, we'll discuss the proposed budget, answer all the questions you've got, and uh, then uh, uh, we'll vote on the proposed budget next Sunday morning at uh, at the Connection Center. Now, nobody's going to beg you to vote if you don't want to vote. Don't vote. But the the budget, the votes, voting will be set up at the Connection Center. And we'll vote to either approve or disapprove the 2018 budget next Sunday morning without any discussion. So that's what our Constitution says that we do. So that's what we do. Next Sunday morning, no no life groups, but there are uh, 915 sessions. We start our annual Bible conference. It starts next Sunday morning, 915. Uh, Dr. Jim uh, Goss uh is that right, Jim? Yeah. Moss. Hello. <laughs> Woo, that Tramadol will work, I'll tell you right now. Uh, Jim Moss. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> and we'll also have music, the praise team, and choir, all that will be with us Sunday morning. But it'll start at 915 here in the worship center. There's no, uh, uh, let's see, we are having children in Sunday school, aren't we? Yes, we're having children, but no you. Everything else is here. And if you'd like to be in the choir, next mm-hmm. Sunday morning is going to be our conference choir. All
1: of our regular choir will be in the loft. But if you've wanted to sing in the choir, be with us next Sunday morning in the
2: loft. We'll meet in the choir room at 10.15. 10.15. Going to be a hoot. I'm t- uh, I going to just throw this thing up against the wall. I'm just telling you right now. I ain't got a devil as big as a mule in it right here. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, ten fifteen or ten thirty in that service, Brother Malcolm Ellis will be preaching, and uh, it's going to be great. And then that night, Brother Malcolm Ellis, free supper at five. The service starts at six. Brother Malcolm Ellis and the Wisnants will be here with us, and then uh, Doctor Don Witt will be here to close it out that night. And then the next night, the Wisnants with Malcolm Ellis and Herb Revis. If you've never heard Dr. Herb Revis, you owe it to yourself one time to come to that. Take your volume before you come uh, and and just relax and have a great time. And then same thing Tuesday night, except it'll be the Mark Trammell Quartet Tuesday night along with Malcolm Ellis and uh, uh, Dr. Herb Revis. Got a note also that Jeanette Ashley's going to Buckner Uh, here after the 1st of January. So uh, uh, she won't be in Shreveport. She'll be here in Buckner, okay? Did I leave out anything? I miss anything? Yes? Friday night's game night, night, okay. Supposed to be pretty. Yeah, pretty cold. All right. (laughs) Well, (laughs) guys, I want to tell you, I'd go in and lock myself in the house and turn the fire on what I'd do. Uh, but but Friday night, it is supposed to be better. I mean that's game night. Bring a snack. We fellowship together Thursday night over at uh, Eden Place. And uh, the mix, I believe, has that this week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it, it's great. Okay? Uh, who else did I miss? Anybody? All right. All right. Would you welcome with me this morning Clay and Vicky Jaco, if y'all would come. And they've been visiting uh They've been, uh, what, y'all been here a couple of months, I think? You've been in Longview six or seven months? Longview, about a year. About a year, okay. And they come this morning from Rapid City, South Dakota. We're sitting here. (laughs) 16 below there this morning. It was 16 below there this morning, all right? (laughs) So they know what cold is. But uh, who who, who do y'all know best here? Uh, Probably Mike and Barbara Taylor. Mike and Barbara Taylor. Come on down here. And you can bring your... Little McKenna, too. Is that McKenna? I can't see that far. Yeah. She always spices things up.
1: <laughs>
2: I love her to death. All right. I want you to come by and give them the right hand Christian Fellowship. Welcome them to Willing Hills. Didn't Brother Case do a marvelous job this morning? <laughs> Tremendous, Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Let me encourage you. I preached over to Arabella this morning earlier. And I told them the story about a Persian general. And this guy had been caught as a spy. And uh, so he was sentenced to die. This Persian general always had a weird way of dealing with people who were sentenced to die. He would tell them, you can either take the firing squad or you can take the black door. Firing squad, black door. Guy was sentenced to die. He said, you want the firing squad or you want to go through the black door? He said every time everybody chooses a firing squad because nobody wants to go into the unknown. 2018 is an unknown time. Well, his attendant was standing there and he said, General, wh- 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 what's behind the black door? And the general said, freedom. But nobody ever chooses freedom because they don't know what it is. They choose what they know. Hey, 2018 is going to, we don't know what's going to be. We have no idea what's going to happen. I'm telling you, there's so many different uh, things going on in this world right now. We have no idea what is going to happen. But I'll tell you one thing. You better heed the message this morning and turn your eyes toward Jesus. Seek him with all your heart and all your mind and all your body. Because that's where the solution is going to be. Would you stand together, join hands. I love to tell the story. It be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. Brother Dale, would you dismiss us in prayer, please? Yeah.